yesterday morning, I, um, I was sort of in that weird stage. It was early in the morning, and um, I, uh, it's one of those things where you wake up, but you don't have to get up quite yet, so you kind of fall back to sleep, but you don't fall all the way back to sleep. You kind of, you're asleep, but you're not asleep, if, I, if you know what I mean. And uh, so I was in that sort of stage, and it was early, and it was early yesterday morning. And um, when I was in that sort of in between, I was asleep, but I never got really in a deep sleep. Uh, I had a dream or a vision, however you want to say, and in that I saw a door. Uh, can't remember describe to you what the door looked like, but it was a door. So. Uh, I have a door behind me today. I don't think it was the door looked like this, but it was a door. And that door, uh, I heard a knocking on that door. And uh, just simply a, it was a knocking. That's all it was. It wasn't fast. It wasn't slow. But it was just, it was consistent. And when I heard that, um, I heard the scripture Come to me, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I heard, I know that scripture, I can quote that scripture, but for some reason yesterday, I had forgotten the full reference to that scripture. And um, I, there's scriptures in the Gospels where, you know, it says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And for some reason, when I got that scripture that came to me as I'm listening to this, seeing this picture of this door, and I'm hearing this knocking, the, door, the scripture, I stand at the door and knock comes to me. And I, I just assumed it was, forgive me, I know I'm supposed to know all scripture from front to back, but sometimes I don't remember quite the references to it. And for some reason, it just, um, I thought it was in the Gospels. Sounds very gospelish. You know, something you'd read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You know, I stand at the door and knock. So I kind of let it go. And uh, later in the morning, I just was like, you know what? Let me look that up to make sure. And I was blown away that I'd forgotten this. But the scripture comes from a completely different place than you would imagine. Maybe some of you already know it. And if you do, awesome. Gold star for you. But that scripture actually comes from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, actually, and I know most of us hear the book of Revelation. If you have any kind of knowledge of the Bible, you hear the book of Revelation and you automatically dismiss it because, let's be honest, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic. It's got a lot of symbolism in it. It's kind of like, well, there's nothing really relevant to me today in the book of Revelation. It's all prophetic. It's symbolic. It's got bowls and bowels and horses and death and destruction and Armageddon and the second coming and... It's just it's one of those books where most of us don't really go to for a devotional reading. But in the third chapter of Revelation, there's a list of churches that John, who's the writer of uh, Revelation, is addressing. And the church that he's addressing in chapter 14 is the church at Laodicea. And if you know anything, you've heard the term Laodicea because the frustration here is Laodicea was really being challenged by God. And I want to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you out of the Message Bible if I can this morning. 
It says, write to Laodicea, to the angel of the church, God's yes, the faithful and accurate witness, the first of God's creation says, and here's what he says to Laodicea, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not hot. I mean, you're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. This is God talking, folks. This is not some person on a rant or a soapbox. This is God's opinion. You make me want to vomit. Now, here's why. Here's what he says. You brag. I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Obvious that, that the up, up, obvious, uh, oblivious to the fact you're a pitfall, blind beggar, threadbare, homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me. Clothes designed in heaven. You're gone. Or you're gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so you can really see. The people I love, I call to account. Prod, correct, and guide so that they will live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me, call, open the door. I'll come right in and sit down and sup with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head of the table, just as I have conquered. Took the place of the honor inside of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. What a powerful and convicting message that is. Now, at first glance, uh, it's easy to deflect that and say, well, you know, what's really, you know, the people in Laodicea were, um, they must have been really messed up for God to say that. But go back, if you would, and read why God was upset. Well, he was upset because they were hot or cold. That's not why. Yes, that was a part of it, but that was the symptom that wasn't the source. You see, we go to the symptom and say, well, they were hot or cold. That was the problem. No, no, no. That was the symptom because what was the issue here? And he says it right here. The issue is found in verse number uh, 16. He says, you brag, I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that in fact you're pitiful, blind, beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Think about that. You're rich. What were the three qualifications there? You're rich. You've got it made. And need nothing from anyone. Do you know what's amazing about those three qualifications? You're rich. You need nothing from anyone, and you've got it made. All three of those are usually the most, the things that most of us today are fighting for. If I could get a little more money, if I could just make it, I'll be okay. Or if I can get to the point where I have enough, I don't need anything from anybody. There are some of you today that are stressed out. You're not happy. You're frustrated. Your life is overwhelmed. 
you're constantly dealing with things and you're like, what is up with this God? Why am I living this way? But if you peel back all the symptoms and we get away from that, you find there's three things in your life that drives you every day when you get up. It's the desire for more. And in this world we live in, in this country, more equals money. Now that may not be the case in other countries around the world, but I'm talking to Americans about America. In our country, money is king. I've got to have money to buy the things I want because that advertisement, I really want that, I really want that. Instagram showed me that new thing, i got to get that. This, we rack up. Credit card debt, we rack up. We rack up bills because we're getting, I get it, we have other things come in. I'm not talking about those of you that have fallen on financial hardship. You have a medical bill or something that happens that you just unaware of. I'm talking about those of you that are going out there and you're constantly, uh, you're constantly looking for more because you're filling an emptiness in your life. And so what happens? Because Our world runs on money. As they say, follow the money, right? I don't know if you've noticed lately, uh, for those of you that are around, but uh, prices seem to be going up. Just in case you're aware. You go to Walmart and you look at things, you're like, wait a minute, six months ago that cost X and now that cost Y. We were in the other day and my wife was saying that, we're getting a contact solution. My wife and daughter both wear contacts. And she got uh, uh, she said, I can't believe how much this, this stuff has uh, gone up. I don't remember. What was it? What did you used to pay? Like six, seven dollars. Six, seven dollars and now double it's that. like almost double that. It's crazy. I get it. And like that brings stress. I don't know if, if, if you're on a tight budget and you're going out there and now bread and essentials that you need are going up. I get it. Everything's going up. Rent's going up. Uh, uh, I mean, like, Lord help us. It feels like everything right now seems to be going up. Medicine, Medicine everything. Medical. So there's a part of that I get. I'm not talking about that. But I do believe God is a supplier of our needs. God's not up there panicking. I'm not talking about these things. I'm talking about the fact there's something greater at play here. He said, I'm, you're, you're, you're rich. So because we have this desire for more stuff, more things, better things. And we know it costs money. What do we do? Well, we know in our world and our capitalism, money is exchanged for your life and your time and your effort. So you're going to work more, work harder, so you can gain more money, so you can spend more. But the problem is, they've done studies. I came across a study not too long ago, just out of curiosity. I, I sometimes read some uh, some things along this line. I came across a study, and, and they basically determined that once you reach a certain threshold, I'm not talking about millionaires, I'm talking about basically middle-class America, middle-class America, normal middle-class America, once you reach a certain threshold, they have they literally said that more money does not equal more happiness or contentment. Now, I know everyone goes, well, I'd sure like to try. But right here, he's saying there's three things. Number one, you're rich. Well, i got to be honest with you, 99% of the people I come across in our world and 99% of the people in the church the biggest thing that's driving them is money. Because once you start talking about their money, once you start messing with their money, things go squirrely quick. The second thing he said is, you've got it made. 
And when I read that and you got it made, that means basically I've reached the pinnacle, whether that's the pinnacle of my career, whether that's the pinnacle of life, where I can finally sit back and I can go look at all that I've done. Look at everything. Look. Look at everything. I've got finally have, I've, I've accomplished all that I wanted to accomplish. I finally have achieved what I wanted to achieve. I finally have uh, reached the pinnacle. I finally solved all my problems. I finally have it made. And finally, the third part about that is he says, and you need nothing from anyone. Now these seem like they are separate. But if you look closely, they're actually sequential. They're sequential. Because it all starts with the desire for more. And in this world, in our society, more is money. Money and more are the same thing in this country. It's very hard to find somebody that wants more, that somewhere at the root of that, it's not connected to money. There may be a few, there may be a couple of you out there that are watching this morning, you may not have that. But at the core of it, money and more are the same thing. Because money gives you more, money gives you better cars, better clothes, better houses, better this, better that. It equals more. But see, when you get to a certain point, and then you got that, then you move to that second category, that second category says, look, I've made it. I've got the nice car, I've got the nice house, and here's where we say, right, I'm living the American dream. I'm living the American dream. I've done it. I've achieved the American dream. And one, when you've gotten to that level where you've achieved the American dream, you've, you've basically reached the level where you feel like you're going to get to. Yeah, you're never going to be the, the guy with the 15,000 square foot home and the 12 bathrooms and the 17 car garage. And you're not going to be run, going around in all these top designer brand clothes where your outfits cost five to $10,000. You know that's not the case. But for you, you've reached it. You've made it. And when you get there... Then you get to that third category, which is, I need nothing from anyone. I've done it. I've done it. I'm over. It's, it's it. And really, honestly, all of us in our flesh and in the world we live in and the culture we live in, that ultimately sounds like the ultimate thing. If I could get to the place where I don't need anything anymore. And apparently, this was happening in Laodicea because Jesus is speaking to, to John and John is relaying the message and he's basically saying, you, you guys are driving me crazy. In fact, you've driven me so crazy that I literally want to just spew you out of my mouth. Like, just think about God using the language doesn't compute to me. God is loving, is kind, is gentle, he's long-suffering. He's so beautifully patient. He's just, his, his, his mercy is everlasting. His grace is enduring. I mean, what? This is God we're talking about. And God says, I, I just want to vomit. Now notice, he wasn't upset over their sin. He wasn't upset because they were out partying every night. He, was up, he wasn't upset because uh, they were so perverse, if you could call it that. He wasn't upset because they were... Uh, doing things immorally. I mean, I don't know how much, I guess other than simply destroying them, just bringing the hammer down on their head and just 
blasting them out of off the face of the earth, which God has and is capable of doing. I don't know how much he, how much how, how I don't know if he could have used any stronger language than he used when he says, "I want to vomit." I want to vomit. You make me, you make me sick. You make me sick. Why? Why was God that upset? And really, the biggest thing that made him upset, which is the thing that drove God crazy from Genesis to Revelation, and it's still the thing that God drives God crazy today, was really the last part of that. You're rich. You've made it. But the biggest one is, you have need of nothing from anyone. You see, that sounds like something that would be amazing. I don't need anything. I don't have it. I don't. That's the problem. As great as that sounds, as noble as that sounds, I don't need anything from anyone. That attitude makes God sick. Because God says, you look at it that way, and this, this is how he says it. He gets strong again. He goes, you're oblivious to the fact that you're pitiful, a blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. He said, you're seeing one thing, but I'm seeing completely different. And it comes down to one thing. You don't need me. And the fact that you don't need me makes me want to vomit. And then at the end, he says this. He says it very, very kindly. He says, look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call, open the door. I'll come in and sit down to supper with you. Here's the key to that. This is the church of Laodicea. He is not talking to the city of Laodicea. He's not talking to the outcasts of Laodicea. He's not talking to the rebels of Laodicea. He's not talking to the elite of Laodicea. He's talking to those in Laodicea that said they were a part of the church. These were people that claimed that they loved God. They claimed they wanted to be with God. They wanted a relationship with God. These are people that confessed and believed in a relationship with Jesus Christ. These are people that had been baptized and had been filled with the Spirit of God. This was not just a normal group of people. It was the church of Laodicea and God took it so seriously that this church even had an angel assigned to it. Because look at the beginning of verse 14. It says this. He says, write to Laodicea to the angel of the church. So this church in God's eyes was so important that he actually assigned an angel to this church. So this wasn't just a group of people. It wasn't, again, the city of Laodicea. It wasn't to the area or to the people or to the elite or just some some uppity-ups. This was to the church. And he says to the church, you don't need me. 
And the image that he gave to that entirety is the fact that I stand at the door and I knock. And that seems like something of great right. He stands at the door and knock. But when you really look at that, I saw that yesterday when I saw that vision God gave me of the door. And I saw the door and I heard the knocking. And that voice comes to me and says, I stand at the door and knock. Here's the problem. A door is a barrier. Usually a door, I know this is kind of obvious, but a door represents a threshold from one room to another. That door, door marks a barrier. It marks an obstacle. It defines a space. So it's obvious today if I'm on this side of the door and somebody was on the other side of the door, uh, we would not be in the same room. I was going to try to do this today. I didn't have the ability to change all the equipment. I wanted to do this this morning from the front door of my house. Because I think that would have been the better image. I have this door here, so I'm using, but I wanted to use the front door of my house today because I really wanted to show that makes it, makes it understand. Because, you know, you could say, well, okay, well, this is a door, but we're still in the same house. You know, I'm in the bedroom and he's in the living room. We're in the kitchen and they're in the bathroom. Okay, it's a different room, but at least we're in the same house. No, no, no. That's not the context of standing at the door and knocking. It would be equivalent to the context is if you're standing on your my front porch and I'm inside my house and that front door is there, you cannot say you're in my house. You may be at my house, but you're not in my house. If you come over today and you knock on my front door and I come here and I greet you, if I don't invite you in, you can't say that you can't, you're in my house. You came to my house. You talked to me, but you didn't come in. Why? Because until you cross over that door, you're not in my house. Until I actually give you access and step back and say, come on in. You're not in my house. And if you're not in my house, you're outside my house. And the thing that defines whether or not you're in my house or out of my house is that door. And so he says to the church, you don't need me. In fact, I will go so far as to tell you how this actually is. I'm actually standing at the door and knocking. Wait a minute. This is the church. It's supposed to be the body of Christ. And yet, the one that this is about is not even in. He's outside. And not only that, but he's knocking. He's knocking. He's not beating the door down. He's not knocking the door down. And when you think about that, that was the problem with Laodicea. We get caught up on, well, they were hot. They weren't hot or cold. They were lukewarm. I'm not lukewarm. I'm hot or cold. No, 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 no. Here's the problem. Get off the hot or cold. Get off the temperature. This is not about changing your thermostat today. This came down to one simple thing. Laodicea had gotten to the point where they could function without needing God. They knew how to do things. They, had, they knew how to do church. They knew how to do the religious thing. They knew how to put in their time. And they knew how to wrap their desires in their world in a, in a Christian setting, in a godly setting. But in the end, they didn't need God. And that's why he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Why? Because if you're hot, you know you need God. And if you're cold, you know you need God. But if you look, you're lukewarm, you don't need anything. You're fine. You ever ask somebody if they're house? 
Are you comfortable? What does that mean? Is it, is it comfortable for you? Yeah, you're, we're asking them basically, by asking them if they're comfortable, you're asking them, do you need anything? And they say, well, I know I'm comfortable. I, am a, I, I have a tendency to run a little hot, so I keep my house a little cooler. Some probably make it cooler than I do, but I like our house. We usually keep our house somewhere in that 69, 68, 69 area. If it gets to 70, 71, perspiration starts to build up a little bit. But my poor wife is not as hot-natured as I am. So if you come to our house in the summertime, you'll even find there's days in the summertime she's walking around with a sweatshirt and socks on because she's cold. She's not comfortable. She's not. So if you come to my house today... And I say to you, are you comfortable? Are you hot, cold? Are you comfortable? If you say you're comfortable, that means I don't need anything. I'm okay. If you're hot, I, I, need, I need to cool off. If I'm cold, I need to warm up. But you see, if I'm hot or cold, I'm in need of something. But if I'm lukewarm, I'm comfortable. This is the fight that we're facing today. Our world is increasingly wanting to be more comfortable and God is increasingly trying to make you uncomfortable. Look what he said. If you don't believe what I'm saying, look, he goes on to say, the people I love, I call to account. Prod, correct, guide, so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet, about face. Run after God. When I hear the word prod, I don't think of a, hey, bud, come on, Joel. It's okay, buddy. It's all right. Hey, you're just a good little boy. Why don't you just... I don't think of that. When I think of prod, I think of being poked. I think of a little, like, a, 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 a rod or something poking at me. Prodding me. Kind of the proverbial donkey that doesn't move and you take a needle and you poke him in the butt and apparently it makes, it, makes the donkey move. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I feel like. That's what I hear the word prod. It's like, I'm not just going to... We want God to be okay with where we are. And he says, wait a minute. In the reality, because I love you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you into account. I'm going to prod, I'm going to correct, I'm going to guide. Why? So that you can live at your best. And here's what you want to do. Get up. Turn around and run after me. That doesn't sound very kind and loving. But the sad part about it is, is that they had learned to exist with God outside of their house. Yesterday, when I heard the knocking and I saw that door, I'm asking, God, what is this? Is this me? And yeah, you know what? There's some areas of my life that I think God's knocking on my door. But you know what? There's some of you today that God is knocking at your door. I'm not just talking about those of you that don't know who Jesus is. Because you're cold. I don't have to convince you today. 
I'm talking about those of you that have allowed your spirit to become lukewarm. You know how to fit God into your schedule. You know how to give God his little due. You know how to make make this Christian walk work, but not really give up anything you, of you. You can still seek your riches. You can seek your gratifications. You can seek your agenda. And you can get to the point where you made it and have need of nothing. And God is telling you today, that makes me sick. Because in reality, let me show you how I see you. You're pitiful. It, you're pitiful. You're naked, you're homeless, you're destitute. That's how I see you. And here's where I'm at today. I'm actually outside the door, standing and knocking. God is standing outside the door, knocking today. If the American church has a problem, the problem is we've allowed God to stay outside knocking for too long. If Christians today have a problem, it's because we've learned to let God live on the outside of our house. Because what do Christians today don't want? Think about it. Let's think about it. What, what, what do Christians don't want today? We don't want to be prodded. We don't want to be corrected and we don't want to be guided. We want to be told how I can make my life more comfortable. How can I have more peace? How can I have more contentment? How can I have, you know what? Sometimes peace and contentment doesn't come from getting more. Sometimes peace and contentment actually comes from less. Sometimes peace does not come from no pain. Sometimes peace comes because of pain. And God is just knocking the entire time. If you don't believe it, there's another scripture for you. This came to me just, just now. I believe it's in Luke 18. Pull it up here if I can. Listen to this. The story, Luke 18. Oh, this here it is right here. Luke 18, verse number 9. And he also spoke this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And this is how he, this is how Jesus described it. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now I know off the bat we already know, well, okay, Pharisee bad, tax collector good. That's because you already know the punchline. But stop for a second and listen as if you were a New Testament, you're a first century hearer of this parable. You're going to listen to that and you're going to go, oh man, Pharisee and tax collector go to the temple. We already know, Pharisee's the good guy. Tax collector is the scum of the earth. That's the scum of the earth. That's the ultimate uh, 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 um Two sides of the proverbial coin. That's the that's the ultimate uh, uh, um, um, uh, uh, polar opposites. Pharisee, holy, righteous, uh, has everything together, dressed impeccably, clean, pristine, holy, tax collector, dirty, scum, hateful, spiteful, just oh, tax collector. Think of the IRS times a thousand. So if I'm reading that, listening to Jesus tell the story, I'm automatically going, okay, 
Pharisee tax collector, I know where this is going. Pharisees are good. Tax collector, let's take these dudes out. And Jesus says this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And he looks at it even as this tax collector. And then he gets this resume. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. If that Pharisee was in our church today, he would be in leadership. Who would want a guy like that? I know the attitude is, well, we wouldn't want a Pharisee in that. Oh, give me a break. We put Pharisees in leadership all the time. Because they, they pray. They fast. They got it all right. They give to God. They're there. Wow. Awesome. And the people that are on the outside that just can't seem to get it right, we shun them. Oh, I know what I'm talking about now. Don't get uncomfortable with me. Don't get all fired up because more than likely God's talking to you. So if you're getting all worked up, you might want to look in the mirror. I'm telling you, I'm coming after that spirit. I already told people I'm coming after that spirit. And every time I poke that spirit, I can feel, I can feel it right now. I can feel that thing bubbling up. Because that's the point right there. We will elevate those and we'll put these people down. And Jesus said, you're looking at the wrong thing. Here's the problem. That Pharisee doesn't need me. But that tax collector gets up every day. And he may not be getting it right. But he gets up there and he beats his chest and says, Oh God, have mercy on me. I can't make it without you. And it's not just rhetoric. He means it. But you see... The spirit of religious tradition blinds us to this. And the spirit of religious tradition gets us to the point where we become so self-righteous that we do all the things, we say all the right things, we act it all out, but we don't need God. We know how to operate all of it without God. I've done it. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I know I can do it all and not even have to pray. I can do it all and not need God. I know how to say amen. I know how to act right. I know how to dress right. I know how to do all the things. I can check every box, but do it every day without needing God. And over there, you got somebody that can't get it right. They can't get too... They, look, look at the list of people the Pharisee called out. Look, let's listen to them. These are all people. It's the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers and this tax collector and God goes I love those people yes give me more of those people I've said this before I'm not the only one that said it others have said it but I'm telling you I am I think we're going to be shocked in the end who makes it to heaven now, if you have this attitude, don't worry about it because you won't make it anyways. So let's just talk rhetoric because if you have this attitude, you've already eliminated yourself. But in heaven, we're going to go, how did they get here? Whoa, wait a minute. Oh, I remember how you used to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember how you rolled. How did you get in here? Now, don't worry. If you really feel that way, you won't make it to heaven anyway. So we'll just, we're pretending. But what you didn't see is every day that they messed up 
Every day they got it wrong. Every day they were they were messing up and they were just making a fool of themselves. They were getting down at night. They were pounding their chest and they're saying, God, I've done it again. God, I've messed up again. I'm not, I'm nothing without you, God. I'm nothing without you. I need you every day. Wait a minute. They didn't get it right. You know what? They didn't get it right. But they acknowledged the fact they needed Him. And then you, who's sitting there going, look at all I've done. I know Scripture. I've read the Bible. I've fasted this week. I've done my duty. God's going, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me one second. I have to throw up. I know some of you don't like this today. I I know some of you right now think, that I am just on a soapbox trying to go after somebody. No, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get somebody, some of you to listen and stop being deceived by that spirit that's trying to tell you that do all this stuff and you're going to be okay and you can do it all without needing God. And today, God's going, um, hello, I'm, I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. You know what this really comes down to? One simple thing today. Do you really need God? There's a man in our church. Most of you know him. But every time I'm around him, I'm challenged. His name is John Lombardo. John, I know you're watching today. I want to let you know how much you challenge me. John's story is, he told it several months ago here on Sunday morning. It's still available on our YouTube page. If you want to go back and watch his testimony, it's phenomenal. John began to walk with Jesus at a young age. And then some things in life pulled him away. He spent a good part of the 20 years um, living a pretty intense life. But when you listen to John today, John doesn't hide from his past. In fact, he shared very much some of the things of his past. He's not proud of it. But you can't really talk to John for more than about five seconds before big old tears start to well up in his eyes. John's not a very, John's not a type of guy that you would think would be a crier. No offense, John. You don't look like a crier. John's a big, powerful man. Big old tears well up in his eyes. And it always comes back to John talking about how much he just needs God. We had a meeting the other night and we went around the room and giving people the opportunity to share some things that are on their heart. And John was at work and stopped working for a minute and got on and was sharing. And it didn't take him more than, was it, a couple minutes, okay? Here's John at work. He's working. He's not at home. He's working. Big old tears start to well up in his eyes. John starts to cry. Voice starts to quiver and shake. He just says, I can't even get out of bed in the morning without first acknowledging, God, I need you today. John, I'll just tell you, buddy, you convict me. You challenged me. 
And then on the other scale, we have people that, well, you look at their life and their life looks impeccable when it comes to the standards of Christianity. They are so pristine. They've got it all together. They know scripture. They can quote it. They always have the right word. They're just so perfectly eloquent in their speech. They just look so, they look like the picturesque person when it comes to God. But they get up every day and they don't even acknowledge God in any way. They just go through the motions. They do the right thing. But the entire time, God's just knocking on the door. And you know what? Heaven's going to be filled with a lot of John Lombardos that have a mess of stuff in their life. John is very open about all the stuff he has in his life. One of the most beautiful things John says in his testimony is the fact that he was, uh, he was involved in some rough things. He was, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, I'm trying to say it, I hear. I don't remember how he says it, so I don't want to tell his story. But let's just say John wasn't acting like the nicest guy. I'm sure there was a few people that took trips to the ER because of John. I'll just put it that way, okay? We'll leave it like that. And you know what John says? His desire is that everybody he hurt, he can go back and show them love. But you know what? What is Christianity known for? Judgment. Where's the one place you don't want to go to when you're struggling? Church. You know how many times I've heard someone say, boy, I'm struggling, but I hope, I hope no one from church sees me. I hope, so. I, hope, I hope I don't run into anybody at church, from church if I'm out. Because if I run into them, you know, it, it's, it's are, we, are, we, are we serious? Do you know in reality what it should be? It's not. So I, I'm not arguing with you because I can be frank with you. I felt the same way. So I'm not, I can't blame you. I've become a master at covert ops. I'm in, the, I'm in Walmart. I'm scanning. Man, I can see someone. I'm like, oh, no. They're in the bread aisle. I'm going to the milk. They're in the milk. I'm going to the cookies. They're in the cookies. I'm going to the toothpaste. Because we know. You get in front of them, man, it's like they start scanning. Brother Joel buys that. Brother Joel bought that. Brother Joel is dressed. You know what? I'm going to lay it out there. If you see me out, out I'm going to let you know, not going to be dressed all fancy. I am a Crocs and sweatpants and t-shirt kind of guy. If that offends you, I'm just going to have to roll with you. That's just the way it is. But half the time, when I run into people from church, their attitude, i got to be honest with you, it's like, why are you dressed like that? Why are you looking like that? Well, I'm sorry I didn't put on my robes today. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to pick a fight today. That's not the point. I'm trying to get people to realize, wait a minute. This has got to change. And if it's got to change, it's got to change with me and you. And the first place it's got to change is we've got to open up the door. We've got to open up the door. We've got to stop letting God exist on the outside. And we've got to open up the door. And here's how he said it. How do you open the door? We've got to let God prod us, correct us, and guide us. We've got to be willing to be challenged by Him. 
We've got to be willing to be convicted and change. I don't like it. My God, half the time my pride gets in the way. I'm not saying it's an easy journey. I'm saying this is what God's trying to get us to do. Because in reality, we should be a place that when you're struggling, you go, you know, I need to go find somebody in the body. I need to go find somebody in the body because I'm struggling. But I know if I can find somebody in the body, they're going to love me. They're going to just be there for me. They're going to support me. They're not going to judge me. That's the way it should be. Name me one person right now. Come on. How many of you really feel? You might have a few people you feel that way about. But how many of you really feel like that's what the church is? Folks, I'm trying to tell tell you, this has got to change. And I look at Laodicea and I went, well, Laodicea was a church. Laodicea had an angel assigned to it. This wasn't just some random group of people. This wasn't a community group. This wasn't some club. It was the church with an angel. And God said, the church with an angel doesn't even have me in it. I'm outside of it. So don't tell me we speak in tongues. Don't tell me we baptize in Jesus' name. And Lord knows, don't tell me we dress holy. Because all that is irrelevant if he's outside. I know you feel like today, some of you, I can sense you going, boy, he's just upset. No, I've told you this before. I'm coming after that spirit. And those of you that want to fellowship with that spirit, I'm either going to help by the grace of God set you free or make you mad enough that you decide this ain't for me. But one way or the other, if you're going to be a part of this body, you're not going to be able to stay in a Laodicea attitude any longer. I say that today in the love and the passion of Jesus Christ. But I'm saying today, Antioch West, there are no room for a Laodicea in this body. If you're struggling, struggle. For God's sake, we all do. If you're going to have problems, have problems. But for one sense or the other, pick a side. Be hot or cold. But this lukewarm nonsense has got to stop. God's saying, I'm standing at the door knocking and they're not even hearing me. He said, listen, this is what he said. Listen, how, how do, you, can you, can, do you read this and it doesn't just stir up? Almost like it just, it just hurts you to hear God talk about this. Like when I hear God say these words, it just kind of... It like I ache to hear God say this. This is God talking about it. He says, I stand at the door and knock if you hear me. Which acknowledges the fact that he's knocking and some of us don't even realize he's knocking. God, open our ears today in Jesus' name. Open our ears today in Jesus' name. Open our ears today in Jesus' name. Lord, let our ears be open to you today. We are so closed off to you. We are so closed off. We're so consumed with our life, our will, our desires, our flesh. Us, 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 us. That we don't even hear the knocking of you. Must less acknowledge that you're on the other side of the door. We don't even hear the knocking. We're so consumed with our own life, we can't even hear the fact that you're knocking. God, open our ears today. 
I pray in the name of Jesus, I mean this with all sincerity. I pray today that some of you, the knocking is so loud, you think you've got tinnitus in your ear. You might call the doctor tomorrow and say, I need an appointment, what's wrong? I've got a knocking in my ear that won't go away. I've got a ringing in my ear that won't go away. I pray if that's what God has to do to get your attention. But all day today, all you hear is this. Would someone please knock that off? That's driving me crazy. What are you talking about? Well, there's a noise. I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I, I... There's no noise. Yeah, I hear a noise. Well, there's no noise. Well, there must be something wrong with me. I must be losing my mind. No, 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 no. He's just knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. But he's knocking because he's on the other side of the door. You're doing all the right things. You've done all the right things. You've made it all. You've done it all. You've done it for years. You've been professional at it. But you forgot one thing. You've left him on the outside of the door. You see, that's the danger of religion. Religion shows us how to do it, but shows us how to do all these things, and we do it without ever needing God. What did the Pharisee say? I think I'm not like these other people. Adulterers, extortioners, and this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of everything I possess. And that old poor boy is sitting over there. He came, the Bible says he couldn't even come up. He was, he was in the back of the pack. He's back there. And he's just beating his chest. He can't even lift up his head. He's just beating his chest. He's beating his chest with his head down. Going, oh God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. We need a lot more people like that than we do people that are at the front of the room. There's a man that's a part of Antioch West. I won't call him out. He was going through a really dark place in his life. He was not living a very holy lifestyle, if you want to call it that. He was going through a very dark place. And I remember during that period of time, I'd always see him come in, in the back right corner, of the auditorium that we were we were using at the time. He'd sit in the back right corner, head down, wearing this leather jacket every time. He knows who he is today. I don't have to tell him. He'd sit back there in his leather jacket every Sunday. Life a mess. I mean, doing stuff. Out there doing stuff. He'd come in. He'd he wouldn't be up front. He wouldn't even really worship. He wouldn't be up there waving his hands. He'd just be sitting back there and almost the entire time he's back there, his head's down, that leather jacket. But in his heart, he's going, God have mercy. God have mercy on me. 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 You see, the religious say, well, he was doing that, but he wasn't changing. You know what, folks? I got to be frank with you. I'm not excusing behavior, but I don't know necessarily. Sometimes God wants as much change as he wants the acknowledgement that you need him. Because sometimes you can change without God. 
And in that same auditorium, there are people up front that were dancing and shouting and cutting a rug and running around and prophesying to people left and right. And everyone's like, oh my God, they're so spiritual. And the whole time God's going, you make me sick. And that guy sitting back there in the corner in his leather jacket, whose life is a myth, God's going, I got you, buddy. I got you. I got you. Hang in there. I'm walking with you. Do you really need God today? That's basically all I've come to ask you. I feel like the Holy Ghost has brought me here to this moment. And I started early when it wasn't convenient. And I started when it wasn't normal because we're so used to having everything scheduled so we can fit God in. Oh, I know, I know, I know, you know, church or live stream starts at 10. So let me do a couple things real quick and then I'll get it done because 10 o'clock and then as soon as live stream's over, I'll fix this. I'll do this. Okay, you know, got things to do today. I'll fit God in. And the whole time we're just telling God, I don't need you. 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 10 o'clock. Okay, God, I'll do my duty, but really I don't need you. But then it, 940 rolls along, the Lord says, go on live. Because there's somebody that was sitting in their chair this morning waiting and going, God, I need you today. Just do whatever you got to do to speak to my life. And I'm telling you today, I don't know who you are, but God heard your prayer today. And he's saying, he's hearing you. He's acknowledging you. Yes, you're not getting it right. Yes, you got more faults than you know what to do with. But don't worry, his grace is sufficient. And just to keep acknowledging you need him. And the rest of you that want God to come and fit in this little schedule so you can do your day, I'm telling you today, you're making God want to throw up. You're making God throw up. Are you like, that's being very harsh. I actually am not being harsh. I'm just reading. I was just reading. So if that's harsh for you, you might want to just take that, a big, big sharpie, and just cut that right out of your Bible. But for those of you that are getting up every day, and you're, you may not have it right, but you're saying, God have mercy. I'm telling you today, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. You may feel like a tax collector today. You may feel like an extortioner. You may have so many problems you can't even determine where to start. And you're going, there's no hope for me. I'm telling you today, there's hope for you. And please do us all a favor. Don't become religious. Don't. Please don't. Just find Jesus. There's a lady... She knows who she is. She texts my wife and I a lot. Very encouraging to us. Very kind to us. She's been around a long time. But you know what I love about her? She knows who she is. Hopefully she does. If not, I'm going to text her when we're done so she knows I was talking about her. You know what I love about her? She acknowledges, you know what? Man, I need God more than ever today. There's been such a powerful transparency. My wife and I even talked about it. It's so awesome to see the transparency that comes from her when she shares her encouragement. She texts us. And we've known her for a long, long time. For most people, they've already they've already written her off. Most people are already told, you know what? Oh, that woman, she's She's got these and she's got that. And 99% of people are written her off. I'm telling you today, I would call you by name, but I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm talking about. God is so invested in you because you know what you're doing? You're getting up every day and you're just going, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy.
gonna text her right now so she knows. I don't want any confusion. This is live, folks. We're just rolling with Jesus. I'm not saying we walk around with our head held high, feeling so down in the dumps. We're, I'm such a bad person. I'm so terrible. Oh, I'm never get it right. Oh, I'm so horrible. Oh, oh, I'm not saying that. That's not what it is. That's not what God's asking you to do. God's not asking you to walk around going, I'm just a terrible person. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. Kind of sounded like my Rocky impression. I'm sorry there a little bit. But to break out in my, Adrian! That's not what God's wanting from you. God's just wanting you to acknowledge every day that God, I can't make it without you. And I don't want you on the other side of that door any longer. And if you got if I got to open that door so you can come in and you got to prod and you got to correct and you got to challenge me, then bring it on, God, because I want you more than anything. He said, open the door. I'll come in. We'll sit. We'll, we'll dine together. We'll have communion, connection, relationship. But you got to acknowledge I'm on the other side of the door. Jesus. If I've done anything today that was outside of your will, if I've allowed Joel to be involved today at all, I'm asking you would just take it, remove all of this. But God, every word that was said today that was spoken, that you spoke, I'm praying that it would penetrate even the hardest of hearts. God, you're so desperate. You're so desperate. Desperate. I can feel such a desperation in you today to just get people to open up the door and acknowledge you. But you won't beat the door down. You won't kick the door down. You're going to have to, you're going to stand there and wait for them to open the door. But I pray today, God, by your grace, that you don't stop knocking until they open the door. That your knocking would get to the point where it penetrates even their hardest of hearts. Where your knocking penetrates even the deafest of ears. Where your knocking penetrates even the numbest of hearts today. Until we all acknowledge, God have mercy on me. God, I don't say this out of rhetoric. This is not saying this out of anything. Lord, I am not. I, I, I am a mess without you. My flesh is a mess. My life is a mess. My marriage is a mess. My family is a mess. My heart's a mess. All of it's a mess without you. God, I need you today. Not just in rhetoric. Not just because it's Sunday. I need you today because I need you today. God, if I've shut you out in any way, in any part of my life, I pray, Lord, today that by your grace I open up every door of every access. Come in every part of me. God, if I've let you exist on the outside of any part, if I have your place and then I have Joel's world and you're not involved in Joel's world because that's my world, forgive me, God. I want my life to be hidden you. Forgive me, Father, today. Forgive me if in any place, in any part of me, I have shunned you, 
locked you out. I pray today in Jesus' name that you would knock louder. That you would knock louder. That you would penetrate even the numbest and deafest parts of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know what? It's a very simple, simple thing today. It's as easy as repenting, grabbing a hold of the door, and just saying, God, I need you today. When is the last time that you seriously had a moment before God where you just went to the depth of your heart and acknowledged, God, I you and it wasn't rhetoric and it wasn't because you were in a moment of religious expectation but because there was something in your heart that was aching and crying out and saying God I need you maybe you just don't remember or maybe you don't realize what you would be like without God trust me I don't need any more reminders I know without him I am a jacked up mess Father, take dominion and authority over this the lie of the spirit of religious tradition. I curse it in the name of Jesus. I curse the blindness of the spirit of religious tradition right now. Command that our eyes would be opened, that the scales would be removed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, spirit of religious tradition, set our minds and hearts free in Jesus' name. Let our eyes be open in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. But I pray today that this is not the end, but it's only the beginning for you. That you would acknowledge and open the door and let Jesus Christ back into your life afresh and anew today. In Jesus' name. As always, until next time, God bless you and we'll see you again.